You're listening to Inward with Rabbi Joey Rosenfeld on the Shefa Podcast Network. Join Rabbi Joey as he guides us through the world and major works of Kabbalah, Hasidic masters, and Jewish philosophy, shedding light on the inner life of the soul. Okay, so Be'ezras Hashem, tonight we're going to be starting a new series of Shirim. It's going to be a series of Shirim on the Zohar HaKadosh, on the world of the Zohar HaKadosh. Now before we can even begin entering into my humble understanding on a small level of what the book of the Zohar is, so we have to first and foremost contextualize the series of Shirim as a continuity in the, ch- the chain that has started with Rav Kook's Reish Milin, moved through the Leshem and the Siros and Addiction and all of the different series that we spoke, arriving finally at Rabbi Nachman, which we just completed or chose to end before completing. So the world of Rabbi Nachman is something we'll always return back to, Bezrus Hashem. But to see the continuity, the connection, the linkage between the Torah of Rabbi Nachman, the possibility of joy, as it emerges from the teachings of Rabbi Nachman and the world of the Zohar HaKadosh. One of the first and most essential elements about the Sefer of Lukutim Maharan is the introduction, not the Hakdama of Rabbi Nassan, but the small Hakdama that Rabbi Nassan decided to print following the instructions of Rabbi Nachman at the beginning of the first volume of Lukutim Maharan, something we've discussed in the past, but this is the Torah of Lechu Chazu Mifalois Hashem. Come and see the wonders, the wondrous activities of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And this teaching, Lechu Chazu, come and see, come and behold, is a teaching where Rabbi Nachman describes the reality, the personality, the presence of Rabbi Shimon, of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, the hero of the Zohar, the tzaddik of the Zohar, the tzaddik yisod olam, the pillar, the foundation upon which the entirety of the world of the Zohar stands, and in truth, the entirety of the world stands. But we're going to see that there's a very big difference between the way things are revealed in the world of the Zohar versus the way the things are concealed in the world of Nigla Satora. But Rabbi Nachman decides to start his Sefer off, his Torah off, with announcing and teaching us about who Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai was, who Shimon was, who Yochai was, who Shimon Bar Yochai was, the different elements of this tzaddik. And it becomes clear as we're going to see, and it's clear in the name of the Tamidim and the Tamidim of the Tamidim, that Rabbi Nachman saw himself as continuing the project of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Generally speaking, the five historical tzaddikim through whom the inner teachings of Torah have been transmitted from the mouth of Gevura, from the mouth of HaKadosh Baruch Hu Kavyachol, given over at Har Sinai, as is expressed explicitly in the Bris Menucha, in the Beis Shar, to the Sefer, the Beis Yaakov, we see that Soide Satara, Panimiya Satara was Neskala to Moshe Rabbeinu first and foremost, Everything that was going to be revealed at that point and until the future point and even beyond the future point, Kol Masha Talmud Vasik Nitna Everything was given over to Moshe Rabbeinu, including Panimiya Satora, including the inner teachings of Torah. And after Moshe Rabbeinu, we have Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. As we're going to see, the deep connection between Moshe Rabbeinu, the Raya Mehemna, the faithful shepherd, and Rabbi Shimon. After Rabbi Shimon comes the Torah of the Arizal. As we know that the Arizal was zoichet to his giluyim through his espodidus and his solitude on the banks of the Nile River, studying in depth over and over and over and over again the teachings of the Zohar HaKadosh, in addition to the gilui of Eliyahu Hanavi. And after the Arizal was the Balshemtov HaKadosh, 
and after the Bashem Tafakadosh was Rabbi Nachman. Now, these five historical tzaddikim through whom Panimius Torah have been revealed in the world is not to say, God forbid, that there are no other tzaddikim amitim through whom we understand Gufe Torah, through whom we understand the basic mechanisms necessary to have any grasp whatsoever of Panimius Torah. But rather, as our tzaddikim point out, these five yechide hadoros, these five essential teachers through whom the Torah has been revealed generation after generation, represent galaxies, they represent solar systems, so to speak, and each solar system has within itself innumerable planets and innumerable stars. And each star shines bright and each planet has its own rules and regulations. Yet nevertheless, they're all subsumed within the general galaxy, the general solar system of these particular tzaddikim. And so it's very clear that what Rabbi Nachman was doing at the beginning of the Sefer of Lakuta Maharan was he was tracing himself not only to his maternal grandfather or great-grandfather, the Baal Shem Tav HaKadosh, but he was tracing himself directly back to the Avodah of Rabbi Shimon. And what was the Avodah of Rabbi Shimon? What was the Avodah of the Yechide Hadoros, the Avodah of these Tzadikim? It was to come and reveal a layer of Pnimiya Satoira, of the depths of Torah, that was hitherto unrevealed. It was a quantum shift in the way that we understood Torah. It was not simply a shift in the quantity of our understanding. It's not that Rabbi Shimon revealed more Torah to us. It's not that the Arizal revealed more Torah or that the Baal Shem Tov or that Rabbi Nachman revealed more Torah, but rather it was a qualitative shift. It was a, a point in history, a pivot point, a shift, if you will, a transition, a revolution wherein aspects of the Torah itself were revealed in a new light. It wasn't simply new information. It was a new way of looking at the information. And the question that we have to ask ourselves before we can even begin to look at what the Sefer HaZohar is, is what was Rabbi Shimon? What was Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai trying to do? What did Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai try and represent and give over to us? Because there is no Sefer HaZohar without Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, and there is no Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai without the Sefer HaZohar. The two of them are intertwined together. Adkidekach, that even those who have absolutely no belief whatsoever in the book itself of the Zohar HaKadosh are forced to acknowledge that whatever gave birth to such a text, it's clear that it lives within the light of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. It lives within that almost ungraspable, palpable light of the northern air of Eretz Yisrael, of Meron, of Svat, of the Or HaGalil HaElyon, of that airy space of imagination where the feet are on the ground, although you feel like you're walking in clouds. There's something about the light of Rabbi Shimon, the aura of Rabbi Shimon, that creates a sense of mystery and excitement and yearning and connectivity. <clears throat> and so what we're going to try and do tonight a little bit is to try and understand Rabbi Shimon, to have a context towards how we're going to approach the Zohar HaKadosh in a limited way. Each and every person has their own grasp of reality, of God, of themselves, of the Torah, of Pnimiyasa Torah. Each and every person has their own os in the Torah, their own letter that they need to clarify. And there are those who resonate with one teacher's particular os versus another teacher's particular os. So by no means is this an attempt to describe what the Zohar HaKadosh is, something that would be tantamount to a clear misunderstanding of the Zohar because the Zohar is something unique to each and every person. As the Arizal says in the name of the Kadmoinim, and as the Kedusha Slavi brings down, that just as HaKadosh Baruch Hu presents himself in a different way to each person each and every day, so that the way I related to HaKadosh Baruch Hu yesterday is not the same way I'm going to relate to HaKadosh Baruch Hu today, so too the interpretation of the Zohar HaKadosh, the proper way of understanding the light of the Zohar, changes from day to day, from moment to moment. So that what I understood yesterday in the Zohar HaKadosh is very different than what I will understand today from the Zohar HaKadosh. And so to attempt to pin down this book, this text, this mystery, this air, this light, this thing, this space, whatever it is that we want to refer to it as, would be tantamount to idolatry, to measure it, to make it bite-sized and manageable and define it something that many people have tried to do and ultimately failed. 
One of the most remarkable things about the Zohar Kaddush is that the more and more people attempted to understand it, and the more and more people claimed to know exactly where it came from or what it was, the more and more they were forced to acknowledge that at the end of the day, we have absolutely no idea what this book is. We don't even know if we can even call it a book. It's a universe. It's a world. And therefore, this is by no means an attempt to codify the Zohar, to claim what the Zohar is or is not. We have tzaddikim who have done their part in that, and we will reference those books, Bezra Hashem. But this is my heart and, and my understanding of the Zohar, the mood, if you will, that emerges when encountering the mystery of the Zohar. When a person sits at their table on their couch, wherever they find themselves, in the few moments that they're able to open up this book and the mood that descends upon a person, that's the, the nekuda that I'm going to try and convey throughout these shirim. And so Bezra Hashem, if they speak to you, then wonderful. If they don't, then wonderful as well. And Bezra Hashem, the proper hakdama to understanding the book of the Zohar, the book of Rashbi, is to understand a little bit of what Rashbi meant. And when we can understand Rashbi, we can begin to understand the Zohar Kadush a little bit as well. As an introduction, and this is going to be a theme that we come back to very often throughout these series of Shirim, as we will see as the Shirim progress. The Zohar as a whole, and as we're going to see, this is reflected in the experience of Rabbi Shimon as well, is the recognition, is the pure awareness that what I see on an external level, what my eyes behold, is simply not all that there is. And that there's an inner shine, there's a glimmer that emerges, there's a ziv, there's, there's a light, a, a light that is sown deeply within the reservoirs of concealment that burgeons forward, that grows out of itself, and it begins to allow the inside to shine forth onto the outside. And when the light of the inside shines itself on the external casings, on the kalim, on the way that the world appears in front of us, <coughs> The world itself is eventually transformed into a site of the encounter with the mystery. Now, it would be all too easy for Jewish mysticism, quote-unquote, to seek transcendence, to look at the book of the Zohar, or to look at the life of Rabbi Shimon. As a mystic, so to speak, who escaped this world, who escaped the confines and the measurements of this world, to live in the bliss <coughs> to live in the bliss of the next world, to live in the bliss of Shemayim, to live in the Gan Eden, while ignoring what was taking place down here. But we know from our tzaddikim that this was not the case. This was not what Judaism was interested in doing. This is certainly not what the Kabbalah is interested in doing. Panimiya Satora is not coming to help us escape this world. Panimiya Satora is trying to help us illuminate this world. <coughs> Excuse me. The job is not to escape the confines and the restrictions of this worldly nature, to run away from what it means to be human, but rather in a profound and almost revolutionary notion, Panimiya Satora is a celebration of what it means to be human. It's dependent on humanity. It's dependent on the human condition itself. And this is what Rabbi Shimon did. Rabbi Shimon in the Zohar did not ignore this world. He did not run away from this world, but rather he drew the light of the beyond into the very fabric of this world so that everything remains as it is. The Zohar is not a miraculous book. There's nothing remarkable taking place per se. It's a very natural setting. It's the outside, it's the wilderness, it's wandering, it's placelessness, it's sights and sounds of nocturnal experience and birds and crickets and bugs and the song of the cicadas and all of the different elements of what it means to be a human being in this world. But that very sight of being human is inflamed with significance, a significance that saturates life and overflows to the point that all one can do is interpret and darshan and learn out and study. Rabbi Shimon's world is not a world of miracles. It's not a world of Kriyas Yamsuf. That was the world of Moshe Rabbeinu, of Nisim Giluyim. Rabbi Shimon's world was a world of concealed miracles, concealed miracles, which as the Ramban teaches us at the end of Parshas Bo, is simply to teach us about the miraculous nature of nature itself. 
the very grass that we see breezing in the air is singing a song to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The very ground upon which our feet lay themselves is a miracle in the fact that it stands sturdy enough to allow us to walk. The world itself, the olam, becomes the site of the encounter with God. And the olam in all of its heaviness, olam as we've seen so often is meloshon he'elem, it's from a language of concealment. Yet nevertheless, it's the very concealment itself which is transformed into a site of revelation. So the Zohar Kadosh is a book. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is a tzaddik, not that destroys the outside for the sake of revealing the inside, but rather holds the outside, allows the outside of reality, the outside of our lives, that frightening space of not being at home, of wandering, of placelessness, of anxiety. It remains as it is, yet it is illuminated with a deep light that burgeons forth from within itself. That was the world of the Zohar HaKadosh. To look at the world as it is, but to see the light that comes pouring forth from within it. To reveal the hidden within the revealed. Not to get rid of the revealed and show only the concealed, but to allow the concealed to nest itself and live within the revealed itself. And again, these are ideas that we're going to make clearer and clearer over time, Be'ezra Sashem. The whole world of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai was the world of hisgalus, of revelation. But it was not a revelation that negated concealment. It was a revelation that shined forth from within concealment itself to the point that concealment itself became the shining light of this world. <coughs> Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, we're told... In the Gemara and Shabbos, Daf Pecha Samad Beis and Pecha Samad Aleph, we're told of the encounter that Moshe Rabbeinu Raya Mehemna, our Rebbe, our Neshama, Moshe Rabbeinu Moshe Shapir Ka'amart, when Chazal were proud of one another, they would say, Moshe, you said very good. All of our teachers are Nitzitz of Moshe Rabbeinu. Every positive thought that we have is a Nitzitz of Moshe Rabbeinu. Our neshamos are nitzutz of Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu was the das of Klal Yisrael. Moshe Rabbeinu was the melech who contains kulam, the same letters. The Mo'ainayim Skusya Genolinu tells us that Chazal tell us that Moshe Rabbeinu was buried in a place, the Lav Hagunle, Moshe Rabbeinu, the Tzaddik Emes, is buried in a place that is disgusting, mul based paor, correspondent to the deepest impurity in the world very much like Rabbi Nachman, who's buried in Uman, at the end, at the edge of Kedusha, as Rabbi Nachman points out. <clears throat> and Chazal tell us that because of this mystery of how the light of Moshe Rabbeinu, the Das of Klal Yisrael, the Torah itself, the light of Moshe Rabbeinu, the Raya Mahemna, that it's hidden, it's concealed away, it's buried in the belly of the beast, it's belly, buried in the center of the Torah, right? Moshe Rabbeinu is buried where? In the center of the Torah. And what's the center of the Torah? The Vilna points this out, the Tzadikim point this out, the Rashash points this out. Chazal tell us that Chazal were, themselves were referred to as Sofrim. Why were they referred to as Sofrim? Because they counted the letters of the Torah. And they counted the letters of the Torah to come and to find that the central letter, the central point of the Torah is the elongated Vav of the word Gachon, of the stomach, from the Pasuk describing impure animals that says, anything that moves about upon its belly is considered impure. So what Chazal are telling us is that the belly of the beast, quite literally, the belly of the snake, the beten hanachash, the vav, the innermost point within the stomach of the snake itself is the center point of the Torah. That's where Moshe Rabbeinu is buried. <coughs> And what this means is that the tzaddik emes, the true tzaddik, is buried in a place that is difficult to find. It's difficult to be so well. It's difficult to understand. Chazal tell us that lo yodea adam es No individual understands where Moshe Rabbeinu is buried. Chazal tell us the famous story that Chazal came to the garrison. They came to the soldiers on the Mount of the Hill and they said, where is the kever? And to those who were standing below, it appeared that it was above. And to those who were above, it appeared that it was below. A paradox 
that it's both above and below at once. But the Ma'orinayim says something incredible. He says, <coughs> And no individual understood where he was buried. Why? Because in truth, Moshe Rabbeinu was buried within each and every person. They didn't know because it was within them that Moshe is within each and every one of us. There's a Nikuda of Moshe Rabbeinu, every Chiddush in Torah, every mitzvah, every positive thought that we have, we're Makushra to the Nikuda of Moshe Rabbeinu within each and every one of us. And Bezra Sashem, when Mashiach comes, that Giloy of Moshe, who is Mashiach, Masha Haya, who she which is the Roshe Tevos, Moshe, will be revealed that all of us are a part of Mashiach as well. Moshe Rabbeinu goes up to Shemayim to receive the Torah. And Moshe Rabbeinu is terrified. He says, Hashem, your angels are here and they're, they're not going to give me the Torah. These spiritual creatures that you have in your universe, they're here. They're not going to let me have the Torah. They're telling me that I don't have the right to the Torah. They're saying that human beings don't have the right to the Torah. And Hashem says, so answer them. New Moshe, what are you waiting for? Answer them. Tell them why you deserve the Torah. And Moshe says, I'm afraid I'm going to be burnt. I can't handle this conversation. Their truth claim is too strong. Just like the Malachim at the beginning of creation that said, Hashem, do not create these people. They're going to lie. They're going to lie and destroy and be broken. And Taka, they had a point, right? They had a point. So Moshe says, I, I can't respond to them. Hashem says, okay, grab onto my kisei. And now start talking. And Moshe Rabbeinu says, knew what's written in the Torah. What does the Torah say? What is this Torah, Malachim, that you want so badly? What does it say? Do you understand what death is? Do you understand what loss is, Malachim? Do you understand what separation is? Do you understand what struggle is? Do you understand what toil is? Do you understand what parents are and what children are and what vulnerability is? Do you know what it means to live in a world with attachments, with worrying about things? with worrying about others other than yourself, with a propensity towards negativity from the moment that you're born. Do you have any shaykhs to this, Moshe Rabbeinu asks the Malachim? Because that's what the Torah is talking about. The Torah is speaking to us in that place. The Torah is speaking to us in all of our humanity. And the Malachim at this point, they have nothing to say. And they give over to Nehoidcha. They give over the hod. They say, Hashem, give your hod, give your beauty to Moshe Rabbeinu, give it to the human beings. Because Taka, the Torah is for the humans. At that point, the Pasuk in Tehillim is brought up that Alisa Lamaram Veshevisa Shevi, Lakacha Matanos Adam, that you ascended on high, Moshe Rabbeinu, and you retrieved the captive one, you retrieved the Shevi, you retrieved that which was hidden, that was stolen from the Malachim, and you brought down gifts. For the Jewish people. Now the Ramchal, the Kamarna Rebbe, the Vilna Gon, the Toldas Yaakov, the Bashem Tovakadosh, all of the tzaddikim point out that Shevi, Alisa Lamarim Vishavisa Shevi, you ascended on high and you retrieved that which was captive. Shevi is Roshetevo Shimon Bar Yochai. That the word Shevi, that which is captive, is the language, is the acronym of Shimon Bar Yochai. That what Moshe Rabbeinu went up to retrieve was the neshama of Rabbi Shimon, was the possibility of the gili of Soda Satora, was the revelation of the concealed light within this world itself. And Chazal tell us something incredible that this Alisa Lamarim Veshevisa Shevi was a gift that Moshe Rabbeinu received from who? From the Malach Mavis himself. That the gift of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, the light of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai on a certain level is the gift that the Malach HaMavis himself was forced to give over to Moshe Rabbeinu, like the Ketoros. So there's something about the Neshama Rabbi Shimon that is rightfully stuck in that place, that is rightfully Eitzel the Malach HaMavis. But it was through the Kach of Moshe Rabbeinu that he drew that light of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai down here. Another important Gemara to help us understand a little bit more about what we're trying to show here there's the famous Gemara discussing the gathering in Karim Biavna. That Chazal gathered together those who were around, those who were important, those who had what to say, they gathered in Karim Biavna. And they said to themselves, they said, Hevra, it does not look very good for the Jewish people right now. It does not look very good for their spiritual development. 
It does not look very good for their capacity to grab hold of something real and spiritual in this world to provide comfort for them in the shifting times and the waves that seem to overcome our heads at every given moment. It appears that the Torah is going to be forgotten. Shatishkach Torah me Yisrael, that the Torah is going to be forgotten. Like we say in Eicha, in Torah, there's no Torah. And we know that without the Torah, there's nothing. If it were not for the Torah, which is my plaything, I would have been swallowed up within the ex existential dread that emerges within my heart. If it were not for the Torah, if it were not for meaning, if it were not for the belief that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has provided us a way, a mechanism through which to connect to him, through which to illuminate the darkness of this world, the Torah, which is from a language of light. If it were not for the Torah, which was my plaything, the one thing that gives me pleasure in this world, the one thing that gives me chayas, not only limit Torah, but the Torah, each and every one of our own Torahs, each and every one of our interpretations of the Torah. As Rav Yerucham Levavitz of Mir, points out numerous times, and Rav Wolba echoes this in his Kuntras on Rav Yerucham, as well as in his own writings, that the greatest possible commentary on the Torah in the world is the Adam Atzmo, is the person themselves. Everything else is commentary. So without that, without that compass that illuminates experience, I would be lost completely. I would have given up already a thousand times over. Why wouldn't I? Without Torah, what point is there to anything? Without the deep understanding that there's depth upon depth upon depth, and that no matter how externalized things appear, there's a movement within the depths that gives hope over and over and over, even when hope appears lost. So Chazal say, when they're saying that the Torah is going to be forgotten, they're not just saying we're not going to be able to make siyumim, we're not going to be able to write svarim. They're saying we're not going to survive. Without the Torah, there's absolutely nothing. And the Torah is going to be forgotten. Forgetfulness is a form of death. It's a form of slumber. It's a form of things disappearing. And everyone agreed. And then comes Rashbi. And then comes Rabbi Shimon. And Rabbi Shimon says, No, the Torah is not going to be forgotten. God forbid. How dare you? How dare you claim the Torah is going to be forgotten? How dare you claim... Chazal, that the light that exists on the inside, that burgeons on the inside, is going to be forgotten. It will never be forgotten. It's never going to go away. Ah, it might look differently. It will be here and there. It's not going to be in one place. It's going to be stuck within the confines and the jail cells and the existential crisis of falsehood and lies and honor and jealousy and, and temptation. Sure, but the Torah will never go away. And it was the Kayach of Rashbi who promised us that the Torah will survive, the Torah will exist, the panemius will emerge from the inside onto the outside. <clears throat> Again, we see that Rabbi Shimon is confronting difficulty, is confronting the fact that he's captive in Shemayim, is confronting the fact that everybody else is saying that the Torah is going to be forgotten. And Rabbi Shimon is looking at the outside, looking at the external circumstances, and he's saying, no, that's not the way it's going to be. Why? Because Rabbi Shimon's vision was a vision that saw the inside. Rabbi Shimon had eyes that saw into the innermost interiority of things. And at that place, it was Kodesh HaKadoshim. At that place, it was, it was an Ormufla Reimala. It was an amazing, emergent, infinite, and undying light that was present at every moment. So Rabbi Shimon says, yes, it looks ugly on the outside. It looks broken on the outside. Of course it does. That's the way things go. But if you have the vision to look onto the inside and to see the light that is burgeoning within in the silence and the modesty of the self, it's not a light that's necessarily going to be broadcast or celebrated. It's an anonymous light. It's a hidden light. It's a hidden life that each person lives with in their own heart. That's never going to go away. So again, we see that Rabbi Shimon is promising us that even in the face of the most clear externalization that tells us that things will fall apart, Rabbi Shimon says, no, things are going to continue. That was the avoida of Rabbi Shimon, to see darkness and to reveal the light that is hidden within the darkness itself. Rabbi Shimon here is clever talking about Rome. Rabbi Shimon couldn't tolerate Rome. The noise of Rome, the kol harmona shel Romi, was deafening to him. 
not on a cultural basis, not on a political or sociological or even a religious basis. Rabbi Shimon was nauseated by this fact that these people were celebrating chitzonius. It was external, it was broken, it was fleeting, it was transient. And he saw his chavra praising their bridges and their bathhouses and their theaters. And Rabbi Shimon said, how dare you? How dare you be so shikr, as Rav Kook says, on the outside? And he says, they do it for themselves. It's external, it's broken. And Rabbi Shimon is forced to run. Rabbi Shimon is chased. There's a death sentence on Rabbi Shimon. Rabbi Shimon is homeless. Rabbi Shimon is running. He is running, searching for an ir miklat until he finally finds what? He finds a cave. And what's a cave? What's a cave if not exactly what we've been discussing? A cave is an indentation within the outside, a depth within the seemingly external limitation of a wall that reveals itself to contain tremendous depths, like a womb, like a place of comfort, like a place of rest. And Yerushimim hides himself in that place, in that indentation, in that makom, in that place that was not truly a place, and that your miklat that is not really a place unless you recognize that you have nowhere else to go. And he moves inwards and he moves inside and he uncovers a light that's burgeoning within the inside. And what's happening in that cave is that Rabbi Shimon is buried, Rabbi Shimon is dying, Rabbi Shimon is going through the death-bringing process of gullus, of being stuck with his body buried into the dust, sitting there learning with Rabbi Lazar. And he comes out with an ormufla reimala, with a light that is burgeoning, with a light that is unbearably light, with a light that reveals clarity everywhere onto everything. And yes, at first, he couldn't handle that light. That light was not matim to reality. It burnt everything. And Hashem says, Rabbi Shimon, you don't understand. The light that you are meant to cultivate is not a contradiction to somebody working or to the externalization of the world. Your light is a light that illuminates the externalities of the world. The light of the Zohar is not a light that says no to this world. The light of the Zohar is the light that says yes to this world, that transforms this world from a base reality of dust and brokenness, and it transforms it into Gan Eden itself. That's what Rabbi Shimon was doing. Rabbi Shimon was teaching us how to breathe the air of Gan Eden, how to draw the air of Gan Eden down into the thick, suffocating pollution of being human in this world. That was Rabbi Shimon's promise. You can breathe the Avira of Gan Eden. And Rabbi Shimon comes out of that cave, his son-in-law, his brother-in-law, depending on the Girsa and the Zohar or the Bavli, is looking at the Tzadik Yisoyed Oilam, is looking at this pillar upon whom all of existence rests. And he sees his skin cracked through with cuts and bruises and tzedakim and, and brokenness. And he starts crying bitter tears. And he says, Rebbe, Rebbe, oily shere'isi b'kach. Woe to me that I have seen you as such. Woe to my eyes that have seen the tzaddik so broken down, so broken with skin peeling away, with the insides appearing. And Rabbi Shimon looks back at him incredulously and he says, oily, woe to you. Woe to you that you've seen me as this. Praiseworthy are you for you have seen me as follows. Had you not seen me like this, I would not be like this. Meaning to say that this process of breaking down the externalities, allowing the skin, so to speak, to peel away, to reveal the inside, that is the very condition that I'm trying to reveal. The Yisurin, the difficulty, the darkness, the incubation period, the pregnation period, all of it, all of the hiding and all of the running and all of the captivity, all of that is simply for the purpose of revealing the deep light that is sown for the righteous hidden within the darkness itself the secret of memory that rests within forgetfulness. Rabbi Shimon doesn't say they're not going to forget the Torah. He says that even within their forgetfulness, they're going to remember the Torah. Because even forgetfulness is a form of Torah. Even darkness is a form of light. This is the Avoidah of Rabbi Shimon. This is the Avoidah of what we're going to see in the Zohar HaKadosh. It's a book, it's a process, it's a mindset, it's a feeling that illuminates mundane reality with a light that is so delicate and pure 
and invigorating and settling that it creates a state of mind of calmness, solitude, and peace. It's not like the works of the Arizal, which are throwing you into Olamos HaElyonim. That's there as well, Avada. But the element that we're going to be talking about in the Zohar Kadosh is what a simple person like myself can understand is the human element of it, the narrative structure of it, so to speak, the story of the Chavraya, of Rabbi Shimon and his Chavra, the wandering in the hills of the Galilee, in the darkness of night. There's no inside in the Zohar Kadosh. There's no conversation in a base medrash. That's not where Torah learning takes place. Torah learning always takes place upon the path. Always baderach. Like the title of Rav Judah Michelle's beautiful, beautiful sefer, baderach. The kavana of Elul, baderach. Hanoisen biyam derech. That I'm going to give you a path within the sea itself. Everything is taking place on the path. Everything is taking place on the outside in the darkness of night. Because the avoida of Rabbi Shimon is to teach us how to walk. How to walk, how to be human. How to be a human being. That's what the book of the Zohar is. The book of the Zohar is a book of being human. The Malachim have no access to the Zohar HaKadosh. Our tzaddikim tell us that this is why the Zohar HaKadosh is written in Aramaic, in Lashon of Targum. Because the Malachim don't understand Targum. They can't understand Targum. Because the Malachim can't understand the secret of transforming this worldliness into light. Because they have no shaykhs to this worldliness. They don't struggle. They don't suffer. They're not broken. They don't wander. The Ramak of Moshe Cordovaro, who, unlike nearly any other tzaddik in history, lived the Zohar HaKadosh, lived it, wrote a commentary on it, and Mamish lived it, wrote a book called Sefer Gerishin, where he would wander out like the Chavraya of Rabbi Shimon and his Chavra, wandering out upon roads to study the secrets of Torah. The Ramak says something incredible. The Ramak says, that the language of the Zohar is not only not understandable to the Malachim, but it's nauseating to the Malachim. It's disgusting. It's abject. They hear it and they want to vomit. They hear us discussing secrets of Torah in this language, and they say, what is this? How can light emerge from such a place? But kacha, taka, that's the secret. The secret of the Zohar Kadush is a silent light that emerges from the very condition of being human. The Zohar HaKadosh is the answer to the Malachim. The Zohar HaKadosh, like Rabbi Shimon, is the answer to the Malachim who said, How could there be a human being amongst us? How can you create humans? How can you give the Torah to human beings? They fall, they wander, they walk. Human beings are called Holchim, those who walk. Malachim are called Omdim. But that's the very pshat in the Zohar. The Zohar is a book of halicha. It's a book of walking. The Zohar HaKadosh is the answer to the time of the Malachim. How could you give something over to the human being that we can't get? The Zohar HaKadosh is that answer because it's only by walking and wandering and being stuck and feeling the darkness and being aware of the temporal transience of this worldliness that the secrets of the Zohar HaKadosh emerge. That's why it's written in Aramaic because the Malachim can't understand it. They can't understand what it means to illuminate darkness itself. They can understand what it means to get rid of darkness and live in light, but they can't understand what it means to illuminate darkness itself, to live the mundane reality of walking and talking and being with friends and sighing and crying and laughing and reading the Torah. They can't understand how that can become the very site of Gula itself. The entire Zohar Kadosh, as we're going to see, in my humble opinion, is animated by this element. That the Zohar HaKadosh is a very delicate text. It's a book of relationship. It's a book of husband and wife, of man and his fellow. It's a book of interpretation and misinterpretation and reading and misreading and argument and fighting and strangers and difficult things. But it's specifically there that the light emerges. Rabbi Nachman tells us something incredible about the Zohar. This is in the 126th teaching of the first volume of Lakut Maran. The Zohar, in the book of the Zohar, numerous places where the Chavra Kadishas, we're going to meet them in future Shirim. The Chabura, the ten Chabura, the Chavra who followed Rabbi Shimon, who made Rabbi Shimon who he was. Without the Chavra, there was no Rabbi Shimon. Without Rabbi Shimon, there was no Chavra. It was not a teacher-student relationship. It was a symbiotic relationship of individuals who are seeking out God and light together. 
And there are numerous times when the Chavar are talking about the Shvachim of Rabbi Shimon, the Butsina de Nahira, the illuminated lamp, Tzadik Yisad Olam, the pillar of the world. And then it writes in the Zohar, Vailidara Kad Tistalik. Woe to the generation when he passes away. So they're praising him. And then suddenly they interrupt their praise with the sense of, woe to us, woe to the world, woe to the generation who loses such a tzaddik. And this is an aspect, says Rabbi Shimon, of Shabbos Vayinofash, Kevin Shabbos Vayav the Nefesh. Like we've spoken about numerous times, Chazal want to know, how do we know that we gain an extra soul on Shabbos? The anticipatory grief that we have over the fact that when Motzei Shabbos arrives, we die and we lose that additional soul, we know that we get something extra on Shabbos. Anticipatory grief, the fear that this won't last forever. We're human, it's transient. That feeling, that fear that Shabbos is going to pass away forces us to throw ourselves unabashedly and unreservedly with surrender and abandonment into the light of Shabbos. And so too with Rabbi Shimon and his Hebra. Because of the great light of Shabbos and the promise that we're going to lose it, we're forced to yearn for it even more. Because of the profound level of bliss and pleasure and calmness that they received from their teacher, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, they began yearning even when he was still there. And even when he was there in front of them, even when Rabbi Shimon was doing his thing with the Chevra, the Chevra were mourning over the fact that Rabbi Shimon wouldn't last forever. The air of the Zohar, the life of Rabbi Shimon, is marked in a particularly acute sense by the fact that this feeling can't last forever. When a person learns the Zohar HaKadosh and they're moved by the words, and we're going to see that is not a matter that is dependent on understanding, but rather dependent on the intention of the heart, as our tzaddikim tell us, the feeling of calmness that emerges, the feeling of Gan Eden that emerges, if for but a moment, is so powerful that there's always already a sense that, oh, I do not want this to leave. Please don't go, please don't go. I'll eat you up, I love you so. This feeling of the Zohar must stay with me. And we're going to see that there were Tzadik and Mamish who couldn't live without the Zohar. Rav Pinchas Karitzer, Rav Gershon Henech of Radzin, the Baal Shem Tov HaKadosh, Rav Hillel Zaitlin, Hashem Yom Kom Domo, the Ataret of Zidichav, the Tzadikim of Kamarna, the Vilnagon and his Chabura, the Piyazatz Nerebbe, Hashem Yim Komdom, the Ramchal, we're going to meet all of these tzaddikim and we're going to see that the singular thread that connects all of them is the awareness that I cannot live without the light of the Zohar, even though I know that the light of the Zohar is not going to last forever. To end tonight's shir, there's two nakudos I want to point out. One is a nakuda from the Rebbe, Rav Yitzhak Maya Morgenstern Shlita, which is going to be a Ner Laragli, a light that illuminates the path into the Zohar HaKadosh and through the Zohar HaKadosh, and then to return back to the teaching that Rabbi Nachman started us off with. Lag Ba'omer is the time of the celebration of Rabbi Shimon. Again, like we spoke about, it's the celebration of life that is born within death itself. It's the celebration of the purity of impurity, the promise that even in that Beis HaKvaros, as Chazal tell us on Daflam and Gimel and Aleph, that questionable place of Tumas Misa, that suffix of whether the impurity of death was there, as Rav Kook explains, Rabbi Shimon comes out of the cave and he says, Tahor, it's Tahor, there's no death here. The impurity of death does not exist here. Like the Python says, Tahir ir Tiveria. Rabbi Shimon came along and he purified the town of Tiveria. And that old man who was fighting with Rabbi Shimon, who was the antagonist to Rabbi Shimon, says, look at Ben Yochai. Look at what Ben Yochai came to do. He's Metahir Tomas Misa. He says it sarcastically. He says, who does he think he is coming to be Metahir, the impurity of death? But Taka, as Rav Tzadok and our Tzadikim teach us, the very point that which a person is ridiculed is in truth the very point of their strength. And that was the Avoid of Rabbi Shimon. The Avoid of Rabbi Shimon is to reveal the light of life from within death itself. 
As we know from the Idrazuta that the last words on Rabbi Shimon's mouth at the moment of death was Chayim Ad Oilam, eternal life. And the question amongst the Meforshim is what exactly are we celebrating Kam Lag Ba'imer? Are we celebrating the cessation of the death of the Talmidim of Rabbi Akiva, who was the Rebbe of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai as well? Are we celebrating the Hisgalus of Rabbi Shimon, the birthday of Rabbi Shimon? And what the Rebbe points out, where Avichemeyer points out that all of these shitos are correct, including the fact that there are Meforshim who say that Lagba Ormer was also the day that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai became the new student of Rabbi Akiva. Because Bedarach Klal, we know that Rabbi Akiva lost 24,000 students. Rabbi Akiva, that light of kol ma'ad ovid rachman al-tav ovid, that light of everything that HaKadosh Baruch Hu does is good, that even the darkness is for the sake of light. That light that he learned from his Rebbe, Rav Nachum Ish Gamzu, who was able to say, Gamzu Latova, that even this is for good, that even the darkness of being human is in truth the cultivating site wherein we reveal the depths of the Tosefes Kishut, the adornment of perfection that can only emerge from human fallibility and frustration. It's also for the good. It's for that good that is concealed, hidden away from Sheshis and Mebereshis. And those 24,000 students of Rabbi Akiva stopped dying. And afterwards, Rabbi Akiva was given smicha to five new Talmidim. Amongst them was Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. But what the Rebbe points out is that while most people agree that Rabbi Shimon was one of the new students after the death of all of the other students, there's shitos in the Yerushalmi and elsewhere that imply that Rabbi Shimon was also of the original 24,000 students as well, except he didn't die. And that Rabbi Shimon was not simply a new light that emerges after the breakdown, but rather Rabbi Shimon was part and parcel of the breakdown and it exists the breakdown and it moves forward into the breakthrough that comes after the breakdown. That Rabbi Shimon is not simply the godless and the greatness that emerges after cotness or constriction, but rather Rabbi Shimon is an element of constriction that moves its way through constriction to reveal itself as being godless. That Rabbi Shimon was both part of the students who died and part of the students who lived afterwards, because the life of Rabbi Shimon and the life of the Zohar Kaddish is going to teach us that we have to straddle both parts of being human at every moment. And that's where the sweetness arrives from. That the light of the Zohar Kaddish is both difficult and beautiful, fleeting and lasting, light and dark, confusing and clarifying at once. That's going to be the animating principle. And with this, we can understand the teaching of Rabbi Nachman at the introduction of Lakutim Maran. That his galus niflam misoid gedulah satani aloykai Rabbi Shimon bar Yochai. Come and see the wondrous secrets of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the secret revelation of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, because Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, that it's through me, says Rabbi Shimon, it's through all of us who are Mekushet to Rabbi Shimon, to the Zohar HaKadosh, that the Torah is not going to be forgotten. Like Chazal tell us about the Chevra, the Rabbanim who gathered together in Karen Biavne and said that the Torah is going to be forgotten. But Rabbi Shimon says, no, it's not going to be forgotten. Why? Because the Pasuk says, It's not going to be forgotten from the mouth of the children. That this book of the Zohar is the very site of Geula. So first off, the Pasuk that Rabbi Nachman uses, Come and see the wonders of Hashem, Asher Sham Shamos Ba'aretz who has created desolation and destruction in the land. That's the Pshat and the Pasuk. Look at how powerful Hashem is. Look at the destruction he has wrought. Shamos, Shmama, negation. As the Malbin points out on the word Shmama, Shamma. When a person looks there, they question, what is this? It's nothing. It's desolate. It's empty. It's broken. It's dark. But Chazal, in their infinite wisdom, they tell us, don't read desolation, don't read emptiness, but rather read it names, meaning don't see that Hashem, look at how powerful he is, look at the desolation he has wrought in the land, but rather look how powerful Hashem is, look at the names that he has planted amongst the land, look at all of the things, look at all of the entities, look at all of the proper nouns, the things that we can encounter through which we can connect to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So the very drasha itself is the same nakuda that we transform shemama or shamos into shemos, 
desolation into names, negation into assertion, destruction into building. How? Through the secret of the fact that it's through Rabbi Shimon and his book that Geula is going to emerge. That's the Ikar Nakud of the Shirim, that Geula emerges into our lives by encountering the light of Rabbi Shimon and by encountering the light of the Zohar HaKadosh. It doesn't simply mean that by learning the Zohar HaKadosh, a person will bring about Geula as if it's a cause and effect in some sort of transactional engagement, but rather Baha'i Safra Yafkin Megalusa, this very book itself, this book, when you live in it, when you taste it, your life is filled with Geula. You experience Geula in the moment itself. You experience Geula down here, something that the Malachim can never understand, something that only Rabbi Shimon can teach us, something that only Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, that Bechina of Shmia, of hearing that comes from far, from the Darga of Bina, from difficulty. It's only Rabbi Shimon and the Book of the Zohar that can reveal that hidden light. And Be'ezrus Hashem, next week, what we're going to talk a little bit about is the Book of the Zohar, what the Zohar is, what it looks like, what it is and what it's not, when it was revealed, how it was revealed, why it was revealed. Those tzaddikim who spent their lives on the Zohar Kadosh. I didn't mention earlier the Bal Hasulam, I didn't mention earlier the Masak Midvash, Many, many tzaddikim who spent their lives on the Zohar Kadosh. And we're going to learn, we're going to see what the Zohar looks like and what type of experience a person can have through this text, which is a, a, a universe. And then we'll slowly but surely make our way in into the path of the Zohar, Ezra Sashem. This podcast is supported in part from a grant from the Hadar Institute. The music is by Zusha. The audio engineer is David Kwan. For more from the Shefa Podcast Network, visit our Facebook page and please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts.